Alrighty, good morning everybody and welcome back to a special full episode of my podcast, Gotta Have Heart Jamal by yours truly Jamal Honus. And definitely we're gonna be talking about some of the topics that we're supposed to be talking about these past number of weeks here, but you know, I'm gonna get right down to them. You know, it's been pretty good past couple weeks and I was so excited about the return of my episode last week, talking about, you know, the history of the ladder match, this real the pay per view quality of the WWE's backlash. And Smojo and Tina Wrestling, too. And speaking of Smojo, how psyched were you happy to see him back in last night's episode of NXT? And it's just amazing. Even though he's not back fully as a competitor yet, on hearing that there are still no reports about him not being cleared to wrestle in the ring again, you know, temporarily for now. But he is taking on a more of a role alongside with NXT general manager William Ringo as the backup of some sorts and the sidekick, but also, you know, the enforcer. You know, I'd probably just call him that Smojo the Enforcer. You know, it sounds like a more appropriate title. And boy, his night one on NXT as an Enforcer last night was very successful indeed. Put a lot of people in check. Even made a great matchup for the Great American Bash. NXT presents the Great American Bash live Tuesday, July 6th on the OC Network. The first match may be Kyle O'Reilly facing off against Adam Cole in a straight-up wrestling match. That match, I'm pretty sure, is going to steal the show like they did. This past Sunday at In Your House, you know, a couple months ago, NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver, you know, before WrestleMania, and it was just really amazing. This ongoing rivalry, I love seeing, you know, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole just get to it all each other. Like, it's been so freaking amazing. You have these classic showcase matches between the two. I'm pretty sure this one will come up at the Bash will not disappoint us as fans. I look forward to seeing what will happen. And I gotta admit, even though... I talked about last week how Money Raw has not been so good the past number number of recent weeks. It has been pretty good this past Monday. I mean, the main event was supposed to see Drew McIntyre one on one against AJ Styles, the Raw one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions. It got turned into a six man melee. Uh, Drew McIntyre gets some help from the Viking Raiders against Omos, AJ Styles, the Raw Tag Champs, and the WWE Champion, the Almighty Bobby Lashley. If you didn't see what happened at the end of that matchup there, we saw that AJ Styles, a groggy AJ Styles, was going to tag in his partner Omos, but instead collapsed and tagged in the almighty dinner champion himself, Bobby Lashley. Of course, two of them being confused, out of nowhere, Drew McIntyre has the Claymore kick, one, two, three, pins the WWE champion Bobby Lashley. I think this is probably the first time Drew McIntyre has ever gotten a pinfall victory over Lashley. If you can connect with that, that's Sunday inside Hell in a Cell, because the two will meet Lashley. McIntyre inside held himself with the WWE Championship. Remember, this is Drew McIntyre's last opportunity to recapture the WWE Champion. If he does not succeed, he will never get a title shot as long as Lashley is the champion. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this, you know, this Sunday coming up for Hell in a Cell on Father's Day. You know, so, yeah, we'll just see what happens there. And, of course, last Friday on SmackDown there, the acknowledgement of the Universal Champion Roman Reigns here. We thought we were going to see the acknowledgement for Rey Mysterio towards the Universal Champion, but it wasn't just that. Rey Mysterio acknowledged that he's the man that he wants to face inside Hell in a Cell. It's been made official. Rey Mysterio will challenge Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell all for this upcoming Sunday. And I'm, I'm kind of curious how the match is going to go. You know, we've all known Rey Mysterio to fight these big guys for a long, long time throughout his entire career. And most times he has been successful here. But I'm not so sure about this one here. I'm pretty sure, as a projection, I think Roman Reigns is going to win and wipe the floor clean. And who knows, if it's inside Hell in a Cell, maybe this could be one of the last few times we see Rey Mysterio fully intact here. So, 
Ramsdale's got his work out, cut out, work cut out him for him too. You know, if Ramsdale does win, you know, he'll be another Grand Slam champion that'll be set three here. Not that he already is, because he is, but like, you know, it'd be cool if he can, you know, add one more belt he's never won before, a confident to his long illustrious career for Ramsdale here. So, wow. Crazy what this week in wrestling has caught up with us here. It's so amazing how wrestling, you know, gets better and better every week here. It's pretty crazy, you know. First of all, I want to talk about this. We had a few weeks ago a celebration of the greatest tag team in WWE's history. What, in your opinion, is the greatest tag team in wrestling history? For me, oh, man, I got so many. Accounts. I got the Road Warriors. You know, I got the Fabulous Freebirds. You know, the Acolytes, or it's called, it's called IPA. I don't know why. I like the Acolytes better. Then APA, APA is, is it's a known name right now for as far as Bradshaw Fruits tattoo go. But I like to act like better. I don't know why. It just it sounds a little better to me, you know. And of course, you got the Hardy Boys, the Dully Boys, Edge and Christian. I'm gonna throw some of the other tag teams out there that's been successful here. Beer Money Incorporated. You know who loved who who didn't love um, James Storm and Bob Roode. I mean, come on, they were awesome together. Freaking amazing, you know. He has some of the other greatest tag teams, you know, where would they be at? You know, just have like these awesome greatest tag teams, you know? It's just certainly been amazing. Right now, I think as most of us can definitely agree on probably the greatest tag team right now, currently in all pressure wrestling is the Young Bucks. Come on, they're a heel tag team, but then dominate. They've been killing every tag team matches above the scene here. Look what they did is um, a couple weeks ago, double nothing on May thirtieth. They May to um, May thirtieth, they destroyed John Moxley. We haven't seen John Moxley since, but due to circumstances that happened yesterday, John Moxley and his wife Renee Paquette just had a baby girl. Congratulations to both of them! Really amazing baby girl there, and she just came out with the episode on her podcast there. If you go and listen to it, I'm sure it's phenomenal. I'm going to listen to it right after doing my podcast, and it's it's really nice, you know. Just to, even WWE actually acknowledged a couple and congratulations to them as well. So it's been pretty cool to like see them have their baby. You know, it's just an amazing time to have a baby. You know, just with this pandemic winding down, it's just feels like everything is really coming back to normal again. Like I said last week, so it's just been simply amazing. You know, but you got when you talk about the greatest tag team, you got to talk about some of the greatest tag team matches. You know, I think probably no, well, not a specific kind of match, but a specific rivalry that. That happened in the new era that that be that considers to be the great tag team is the New Day and the Usos. Come on, every match these two teams they've had against each other, what was at the Grand American Bash, you know, um, in twenty seventeen, you know, or sorry, not the Grand Bash, the Battleground twenty seventeen. Sorry, guys, I'm like, you know, getting confused with these pay per view days, but <laughs> Battleground twenty seventeen July, you know, I think it was the first the first meeting between these two teams. They got together at SummerSlam. It kind of sucked. The only thing I hated about SummerSlam 2017 that the tag team change match between the Usos and the New Day were not featured on the main card. They were on their pre-show. And that's just kind of one of those big letdowns because that match was still a match, the most talked about match of the night, even though it wasn't on the main card, you know? We saw the street fight during the Las Vegas episode of SmackDown September 2017. Then they had the first ever tag team Hellstone matchup in October 2017, which to me is still one of the best Hellstone matches to this very day. And they got it all again at Fastlane 2018. It's just been really amazing to see, like, what these two teams will go through to showcase, you know, themselves as being 
the one of the greatest tag teams ever that we history, you know? We have some strange basketball tag teams, too. Who could ever forget the Rockstar Connection? I mean, it worked. You know, they didn't last too long, but it worked. They won two tag team championships, like better tag team championships together in the new year in 1999, you know? And probably the one of the strange bedfellows that actually worked really well thanks to Mick Foley was the bar, Seamus and Cesaro. Of course, that's definitely one of his great tag teams. But if you can talk about some of the great tag team rivalries, who could ever forget Edge and Christian and the Hardys and Deli Boys? They tore it up together, started WrestleMania 2000, and that amazing triangle ladder match. Escalated from there to the first ever TLC match at SummerSlam 2000, and who could forget probably one of the not greatest matches in WrestleMania history, but one of the greatest matches in WWE history overall, the TLC 2 match WrestleMania 17, you know, in front of 67,000 fans that night in the Houston Astrodome, and it's just really amazing to see, like, how much every time these three teams are fought with each other, how much they will take the bar to a higher, higher pace. It's, like, simply amazing. It really is. So, to me, it's, like, for like that, it's just some of the greatest tag teams ever. And it's really cool, you know? It's hard to say who was the greatest tag team of all time in any of company. And, you know, it's hard to, for me to pick that answer to find. But, you know, if I got to say, in my own opinion, if someone were to ask me, in my opinion, what's the greatest tag team of all time, I got to put the Dudley Boys. I mean, you guys have won every major tag championship about they've been in, in any organization they've been in. It's just simply amazing. They're 20-something time tag team champions. Who could, not, who could deny that? You know, that's just an amazing record overall. You know, that really makes the Dudley Boys truly the best tag team in any professional wrestling in any era. You know, that's how amazing, you know, these guys are. You know, straight out of ECW, you know, going to the WWE, and it's just like, you know, going to TNA Wrestling after that. They even got the tattoo to New Japan at one point, and, you know, they're just simply very dominant. You know, they're half-brothers. They are half-brothers, but they're just simply dominant. It's just really amazing. What Bubba and D-Von can do, you know, so I got to acknowledge them, to me, as probably the greatest tag team of all time. You know, they're just amazing. They really are. You know, and you can't deny the fact that, you know, anything the Deadly Boys have done, they've really elevated the success of the greatest tag team of all time. You know, to me, it's just, that's just the way it is. You know? To me, that's just, like, the way it is, you know? It's really crazy. So, yeah, I mean, you can give me, like, comment or, like, you know, why you posted on when I will post the episode up on YouTube at some point, you know, comment it, you know, you could like message me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and say who was your favorite tag team of all time or or in your opinion, who was the greatest tag team of all time. You know. So it's pretty amazing. It definitely is, you know. I mean, it's been crazy because you have like, you know, first it started up as the WWE Web Tag Champions, and then got thrown to the WWF Tag Team Champions. Then the championships came exclusively to Monday Night Raw, where SmackDown had at one point had to create their own tag team championship belts, which they did. You know, Chris, we all know that Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle in 2002 were the first ever WWE tag team champions, while Raw tag team champions were referred to as the World Tag Team Championships. 
I kind of didn't get that kind of confusing as a kid a little bit. Like, aren't the stuff happy championships? But different brands. If you can see the belt design from both of them, there were actually different ones. While the red was in the middle for Raw one, and there was a SmackDown one with a little bit of a blue shading color on the main plate in the center. So I guess it's the only way. And I think the SmackDown one's a little bit more golden too, at that too. So that's the only way you could tell, like, you know, how different they were. You know, so yeah, <laughs> and it's crazy because the statistic that the oldest taxi champion right now, currently WWE today, is the badass Billy Gunn. When the New York Outlaws had won the tag chance from Cody Rhodes and Goldust at the 2014 Rumble Kickoff Show, and yeah, that makes Billy Gunn right now in WWE's history the oldest tag champion, or oldest former tag champion of all time. You know, so. It's pretty crazy, you know? This is amazing. This is a statistic. Who remembers the tag team of Paul Linden and Brian Kendrick? They were the lightest tag team combination ever to hold the tag team championship belt when they were on SmackDown for the duration of, like, almost an entire year. You know, about 11 months to be exact. When Paul Linden and Brian Kendrick on SmackDown in 2006 were the tag team champions at that point. You know, it's pretty amazing. And, of course, we all can agree that Big Show and Kane... When both the tag championship runs in 2005 and 2011, they were the heaviest tag champs of all time with a combined, with a combined weight of 808 pounds. So, but, you know, they're dominant. They really were, you know. This is going to be with statistic. But did you guys know that John Cena and The Miz were actually tag champs together in 2011 before their clash at WrestleMania 27 in the main event in the Georgia Dome in, 88, in the ATL? But, of course, they had a chance to win the last nine minutes as they will lose the chance back to the Nexus, I believe. The, or the new Nexus, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, let me tell you something. The Nexus, I'm going to do a podcast about this. Someone down the line this year. The Nexus, they were a good group. I kind of wish they lasted longer. You know, especially the original Nexus. The new Nexus was like, I'll give it CM Punk. He was a great leader, but I just didn't feel like he bonded in Nexus. He, he should have just stayed on his own. You know, that really didn't do anything to elevate his career one way or another. You know, it's kind of a waste of six months right there, but, you know, who's, who's to say, you know? But, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And let's not forget, the longest tag team championship reign, of course, we all know, is the New Day at 483 days before they lose, lost it to the newly created team of the bar of Sheamus and Zorro that ended it. Mind you, New Day were the long tag champs from SummerSlam 2015, in August 2015, all the way into December 2016 at Roblox End of the Line. I did a podcast episode of Roblox End of the Line, you know, last year, and I expressed the, how they kicked off the show with that tag team matchup and the New Day losing. So it was kind of like, damn. But it's, it's just amazing. The whole 2016, the whole 2016, the New Day were the tag team champions. You know, that's just simply an amazing feat right there, you know? I felt like, you know... For the New Day, even though they might have successful careers apart, together, you gotta admit, at first it wouldn't work out, but they stepped up their game in merchandise sales, you know, comedic skits, everything they possibly could to make WWE a more funner product to watch, just because of them, mainly because of them, and it's just been really amazing what the New Day could do. Aside from their longest had chance to reign, they have been... Non-stop a cohesive unit. 
a really very well cohesive unit. Like Kofi Kingston, there was, you know, of course Biggie. Like it's just amazing, you know. Those of you guys probably got a bond that no other tag team or trio can compare, you know. So she's really amazing. It really is. Like I, I definitely enjoyed the new day, you know. I really do enjoy the new day. But yeah, you know, and you know, you got um. Of course, you know, you got now almost AJ Styles as Raw Tag Team Champions. And, of course, the the, Ray, the Mysterios, Ray and Dominic, the Terrell SmackDown, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. So, it's been pretty crazy, you know. And, of course, NC Tag Team Champions right now, MSK, will have been dominating that huge win with Bronson Reed over Legato Del Fantasma in that huge, exciting six-man tag match kickoff in your house, NXT, this past Sunday night. And... It's really amazing what MSK can do. They came in WWE like a couple months ago. They've been on a roll. They're with Tattoo Champions. MSK is going to do really big things for Tattoo Division. You know, they, they not have their best matches yet. They will soon to come. Trust me, they definitely would. So, it's just really amazing. You know? And speaking of Tattoo Teams, we're going to camp up the women's Tattoo Teams, right? Women's Tattoo Teams right now, current WWE, Natalia and Tamina. Whoever thought that Tattoo could work out, they kept a little bit short of WrestleMania. But he still got the victory on the episode of SmackDown a few weeks ago to become the new WWE Women's Tattoo Champions, defeating, you know, also showing chat of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. You know, I never thought those two could work out as long as they did, but they lasted. You know, two times had champs between those two, so, yeah. Overall, it's been really amazing for the Tattoo Division, you know, and now we have NXT Women's Tattoo Champion. I mean, come on. That's not a lot right there. You know, Indy Harwell and Candice LeRae, of course, dominating there. You know, they may be Hill Tassie Magic. I like the comparison between the two. I like the way I'm actually a away fan, you know. So, you know, John Gargano, Austin Theory. So, you know, you, you got to love them. They actually are charismatic, too, in a way. They really are. They're entertaining, you know. Oh, man. Well, we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, I'm going to talk about another topic here. That is simply going to set it on fire. We'll be right back after this advertisement. Alright, welcome back to a special full episode of God Have Heart Wrestling by your Shirley Jamil Honus. Okay, I'm glad I got that part right. I feel like I stuttered a little bit on the beginning of the episode. But I'm back, so yeah. Another topic I want to talk about, this is probably going to be one of my favorite topics to talk about here, is Burn It Down... We're going to talk about the history of the architect version of Seth freaking Rollins. I'm a huge Seth Rollins fan. I think for a lot of people there, even right now, Seth Rollins is still dominating as his character on SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown. It's just simply amazing. This guy can do anything. You know, he can literally do anything and make it pure gold, you know. But who could forget when Seth Rollins came to WWE as part of the NXT brand? Right on fire, he had the, you know, the dye-colored gold blondish hair on the left side of his head and well, on the right side of his head. It's just been something amazing. I like, I like the look, you know, I like the flashy trunks, you know, even though the black man called that kind of make it look like a cowish type character, but it was still cool. Uh, you know, nonetheless, it was still cool. You know, when they announced the uh, first ever, you know, NXT championship tournament, you know, set by a Dusty Rose pack of time, God bless his heart, God rest his soul. And Seth Rollins in that tournament, yeah, they met in the finals in August of 2012. 
you know, Turner came down to Seth Rollins and Jinder Mahal. And I really thought at that time, I didn't really know who Seth Rollins was, but I knew who Jinder Mahal was. And I thought at that time, okay, Jinder Mahal's going to become the new NXT champion. You know, probably about time, you know, as far as character goes, you know, because he was red hot. Remember, Jinder Mahal made his debut in late 2011. The first time I really saw him pay was during the 2012 one Run matchup. He did it dominate as well as he did, even though he got eliminated by the great Khali, but still, amazing performance, right? Goes to NXT, enters the NXT Championship Tournament, you know, shortly after. And amazing as may seem, you know, you hear on commentary, Jim Ross, you know, really praising Seth Rollins on his in-ring work and ability here. And Seth Rollins, I think one time, I was, I was listening to the matchup, but I was hearing Jim Ross saying Seth Rollins probably one of those future world champions, the future of the business there. And, you know, Jim Ross did, was not wrong about that at all. He was 100% right. As Seth Rollins went on to win that matchup, it became NXT's first ever world champion that night. You know, the newly crowned NXT world champion. And again, again congratulated there by Triple H there. Who could never knew that night when Seth Rollins won the NXT world championship for the first time, became the first inaugural champion in NXT, that how big this guy was. You know, he wouldn't lose it very long as he'll lose it shortly after to Big E Langston. You know, Big E now, same Big E, you know, minus the last name Langston. But still, Seth Rollins, I think from that night, from every one of his, you know, Todd Princess, we can, like, surely, you know, see how great this guy was going to be. How amazing, how phenomenal, you know, the future. He is simply the future at that time, you know? But it's really amazing, though. What really stepped up Seth Rollins' game here is when, you know, they had this plan to work out. He would get brought together in with Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. John Moxley, and the current Universal Champion, Roman Reigns. You know, you see these guys debut at the 2012 Survivor Series, and they would attack, you know, John Cena right back during the Triple Threat Championship match between that ball WWE Champion, Shane Punk at the time. And it's just... It was amazing. You did I really didn't know who these three guys were. But I recognize Seth Rollins. You know, the old hair, I'm like, oh shit, is that Seth Rollins? Like, this, is, this must be his WWE debut. The other two guys, I'm like, okay, I don't know. Well, I learned their names of Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. So, I was like, okay. These three guys are making headway. They did this attack like two of the big stars of the company at the time, you know? So, yeah. You know, every night from there, there on, you know, they've been continually attacking people. They let themselves known to be called as the shield. I thought it was kind of like, eh, you know, but it worked. You know, it worked out to their advantage. And, you know, they were having their first ever matchup at TLC 2012 in Brooklyn. Mind you, I was the first baby to be held in the Barclays Center at the time. You know, it was a TLC matchup. But for the first time ever, it was a TLC matchup that revolved pinfall and submission. So I was like, okay. This is going to be kind of unique. So, yeah. And they'll face off against Team Hell Knows, Kane and Daniel Bryan and Ryback. You know, who they screwed up with their chance at Survivor Series. And it's really amazing. If you go back to the matchup, you see a spot where Ryback is chasing Seth Rollins up this 20-foot ladder or maybe... Freaking high than 24 ladder there. I think it was probably about 25, 30 feet. And then, Ted Long is trying to get down. And you see, like, him pull Ted Long by the strap of his belt, 
loop, I think, and just several just crashed into like two or three two or three tables below. I think one of is maybe is back of his head looked like whip whiplash off one of the tables they had. I'm like, holy shit! I opened and killed that the you know. And so, team, you know, the shield was still going to win the matchup, but damn, I think Seth Rollins was like feeling at the end of that matchup. I'm like, oh, damn, hope this guy's okay, you know? Oh, don't hurt the future, you know? So, damn. But I think it's just one of those bumps that he didn't mean for it to happen, but to take it up and get up after that, you know, I was like, damn. Whew, that could have been a career ending right there. You know, as far as like, spots going to be, you got to be really careful about what you do, and of course, he's professional, so. Yeah. Take like a man, though, you know? But we didn't. These three guys were so good together. You know, take out The Rock. You know, they tried to take out The Rock at the World in 2013. Of course, that didn't presume. These guys got their first win. Seth Rollins made his WrestleMania debut, along with Dean Ambrose and Lumber Reigns at WrestleMania 29 in MetLife Stadium. And they switched from New Jersey feeding Randy Orton and Big Show and Sheamus. You know, mediocre type of matchup. They were pretty good, though. And these guys climbed to the top so fast that the next following pay-per-view event, I think it was Extreme Rules, set the rounds of Kawinas' first ever tag team championships with Roman Reigns there, while their buddy Dean Ambrose won the nasty championship. You know, so all three members of the show walked out with titles that night, Extreme Rules. Really amazing. And these guys would be dominant to, you know, defeat Randy on Daniel Ryan at Payback. Until they suffered their first loss on SmackDown to the same trio, Kane, Dan Ryan, Randy Orton on SmackDown, I think in June of 2013. So, but still, you know, at that time, Seth Rollins was undefeated from late 2012 through mid 2013. That's an awesome undefeated streak, you know, as far as any wrestler goes, no matter who you're with. So, it's just really amazing, you know, overall, simply amazing. And then thereafter, you know, the Shield will continue to dominance in the WWE. You know, they did everything they could to, like, you know, keep their, you know, catch reigns intact until Seth Rollins and Roman's lost tag titles to the Rose Brothers, Cody Rose and Goldust, at the inaugural Battleground in 2013 there. But it didn't stop Seth Rollins from being there. He was still considered to be the top guy in the WWE there. You know, you guys start feeling with CM Punk shortly thereafter in 2014. This is where you thought a change started coming in. This is where you think, like, okay, the Shields is going to be big faces now. They, when they feud with the wife, the wife family, Bray Wyatt, um, Luke Harper, God rest his soul, Luke Harper, and um, Eric Rowan. And these two trios will have like, such an amazing matchup. Still, I call one of the best trio six man tag matches ever to this very day. At Election Chamber 2014. I mean, that match was so damn good. You know, Minneapolis that night. It tore down out. I think that was the best match of the night. Between the Shield and the Wyatt family. It's just simply amazing. Of course, the Shield lost that matchup there. But they were still really thought to come in as legit big friends now. They were, you know, the good guys. Of course, so. Yeah. And then we went to WrestleMania that year. WrestleMania 30. And, you know, Mercedes been super dumb, defeated the New York Outlaws and Kane, you know. Of course, another monumental, you know, tag team matchup that night. You know, it made quick work of them, like, in about five minutes or so, but that was still good, you know. This was really cool here. When Evolution came back, and it's had a few feud with Evolution up until, like, Extreme Rules and Payback, you know, 
even that payback, you saw Seth Rollins doing this amazing spot where he jumps off the top of the, not on top of the stage, but halfway up top of the stage, all type evolution in Chicago that night, and yeah, simply amazing though, you know, it really is. But if you really want to let to know people who Seth Rollins really was, who was the architect Seth Rollins is. Go back and watch the episode Manny Rothman, June 2nd, 2014. The night that probably changed Seth Rollins' career forever. When he turned on the shield, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose aligned himself with the authority with Triple H and Randy Orton. That night, I think Seth Rollins truly became the architect that night. The next pay-per-view in Boston, at Money in the Bank, he went on to feed five of the greatest superstars, you know, to become Mr. Money in the Bank. That that night, I believe, yeah, this is the evolution of Thrones here. Evolution, they're prepping Seth Rollins to be the new big-time superstar of the company. Which I don't blame them. Seth Rollins is freaking incredible. You know, you take a Daniel's ladder spot at Money in the Bank. If you go back and watch that matchup on Money in the Bank 2014, you took a Daniel's ladder spot where he flipped and crashed a ladder. And probably hit that ladder three times while coming down on it. Back first, mind you. So, for him to get up... After that, and climb and get the briefcase, it was just simply amazing. It really was. And, of course, he entered the field with his buddy Dean Ambrose at the time there. And, of course, he's been victorious on numerous occasions. Even at Hell in a Cell, you know, Seth and Fiend took a dangerous Hell in a Cell bump when they both fell off the side of the cell onto both announce tables. And, you know, Seth Rollins did win that matchup. I guess Dean Ambrose at Hell in a Cell in October 2014. I mean, go back and watch the matchup. That was probably one of the most exciting cell matches you've seen between these two because they legit beat the shit out of each other. You know, kind of like how Undertaker and Mick Foley started out that match at the top of the cell. The same way happened here, too. The only difference is, you know, these men threw each other off the cage but both fell from the side of the cage, which is still serious, pretty serious bumps right there. So for them to take that those two bumps and then just get up and... Continue to beat the shit out of each other that night was just, it was, it was, pretty, it was cool. It was, it was simply cool. You know, I, I enjoyed it as a fan, and I'm glad I got to see more of these two as far as their rivalry came to an end, but we'll continue on the following year. So, yeah, pretty cool. And even at Survivor Series, when he had Team Authority, which was captained by Team Sathorns against Team Cedar. <sighs> Oh, sorry, I got a little bit tired there. But yeah, it was such an amazing match. Cause it told a story. It was like either the authority wins and all four of Cena's teammates will get fired or Team Cena wins and the authority is out of power forever. That told an amazing story. 2014 Survivor Series, I mean, event will still be one of my favorite matches to remember because we also got to see the debut of Sting that night. Like, who could deny that? Like, seeing the debut of Sting while well, you had like Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler being the last two men Chipotle just beating up Dolph Ziggler there, trying to hand Seth Rollins the victory again like he usually does. And then out of nowhere, Sting comes out, takes out Triple H, and then pits Dolph over Seth Rollins, and Dolph gets cover one, two, three, and wins it. That was probably one of the best endings to the Survivor ever, you know? That really was. So Survivor 2014 would definitely be event to remember for me, you know? It was just simply amazing. Simply, simply amazing. Oh, man. And then Seth Rollins would have, like, this Ronco rivalry with John Cena here. They had an amazing tables match. I don't know if you guys remember, but John Cena 
and Saturn had a health matchup at TLC 2014. He fought return Roman Reigns that night from injury. And, you know, the deal was that Saturn would lose Johnson with the shot against Lesnar at the World Rumble 2015. Of course, what that did happen. Cena did win. But Saturn still got his way to the championship match and making a short matchup. And guys, I want to tell you this. If you think about major championship matches for the WWE championship in wrestling history, go back to the 2014 World Rumble matchup. That was probably one of the greatest triple matches ever. John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and Seth Rollins bleed toward the house down that night in Philadelphia, you know, at the Wells Fargo Center. And it's amazing. It was Seth Rollins, I thought for a second, even though he was technically the money bank, I thought he was going to win that match overall. You know, even though he's the one that got pinned by Lesnar, Seth Rollins was still put on the showcase. Like, that really told a lot of us as fans that Seth Rollins could really hang with the beast right there. You know, that was probably the first time Seth Rollins had ever gotten to the ring with Brock Lesnar. And I gotta admit, his performance in that matchup, to me, was 100% really good. Very, very well done, you know. Of course, we got to a program when you were in here. We started returning when you were in that fast lane 2015 there. Which they got into mix up there. And we ended up clashing at WrestleMania 31 that night, you know. Even though Seth Rollins got caught with the RKO and got beat by Randy Orton, you know, at WrestleMania 31, that would not be the end of Seth Rollins' night. Because who would ever thought later on in the night, we had this ongoing match between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for the WWE Universal Championship. Seth Rollins, out of nowhere, comes in at the end, catches the money in the bank there, gets the curb stop in on Lesnar, gets the curb stop in on Reigns, and covers Reigns 1-2-3 to become the new WWE Universal Champion that night. Who would ever thought of it? Michael Cole, I'll never forget Michael Cole saying this is the heist of the century. It was the heist of the century. There's no way expected Seth Rollins to come in, cash money bank, and leave WrestleMania 31, end the show with him holding the WWE Championship in, air, in midair on stage with the pyrotechnics going off. And, you know, that was just one of those moments that WWE just threw a curveball at you. It's like, oh my God, believe it, I can't believe this happened, but it actually happened. Seth Rollins is our new champion. You know, it was going to happen at one point, one way or another. People didn't know it was going to happen this fast. And for me, I'm kind of glad it happened this fast because Seth Rollins had an amazing championship run. You know, he went, defeated Randy Orton in the Stilkate match at Stream Rules. He defeated Randy Orton, Dean Russell, and Roman Reigns in a 24 matchup at Payback. You know, he went out to defeat Dean Russell in a ladder match at Money in the Bank 2015. And, like, even, um,. You know, he went toe to toe against Lesnar at Battleground. Even though in the first intake, Mr. Thorns just got qualified, but still was able to walk out as the WWE Champion. This is where Seth Rollins, the architect, grew bigger. This is pretty amazing. Tied up a title match. Him versus Cena at SummerSlam 2015, the first ever time SummerSlam went to the Barclays Center. And it was John Cena's US title versus Seth Rollins' WWE Championship. It's really amazing here. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It's been a long day. <laughs> long night. But, yeah, you know, it's, you know, get into the match up there. Go to SummerSlam. First of all, check out Seth Rollins' entrance attire. Coming out all white. White and gold. That was pretty badass. That's probably one of the most badass entrance attires I've ever seen. That was so damn cool. I, I, I'm glad we're going to see it again in IGN because the next month it gets thing. But we'll talk about that. We'll get there. But, you know, him versus Cena that night. You don't think Cena's going to win become a 16-time champion. He's already a 15-time champion. 
for Seth Rollins to have interference, let alone still interference. I'm not going to mention this. It's probably the last time I mentioned because you know, Seth Rollins did win without the interference. You know, John Stewart came in and hit him with a chair. Seth Rollins got us the pedigree. And we got one, two, three. Just Seth Rollins became the first man to hold the U.S. title and the championship at the same time. This is how amazing Seth Rollins was. You know? The whole thing Seth Rollins going to be bronze in the statue. Next night of Raw. Out comes the turn of Sting. I'm thinking, what's Al Sting doing? He's going to win Triple H? But no. Sting says he wants to be the WWE World Championship. The title that he never won before. That eluded him his whole career. So we're tonight's champions in Houston, Texas. That night, September 20th. You know. Seth Rollins losing the New York title. John Cena. That's the two, two matches. Remember, night champions is an event. Is an event that every championship must be in the line. So both Seth Rollins had double duty that night. He loses the U.S. title to Cena. You know, which kind of sucks. Uh, I wish that ring that lasted longer, but it's okay. But at least he went out to the feasting to retain his WWE World Championship. So again, it's just simply amazing. You know what he can do overall. You know, so yeah. And then he got the return of Kane. You know, at that time, and Seth Rollins would defeat his former buddy, you know, from the authority, Kane. The easy masking, Ivy Corporate King, the masking at Hell in a Cell in Los Angeles. So, yeah, this is where the downfall kind of came in here. At live against Kane, I think it was a street fight, no DQ matchup. He tore his ACL. Mind you, this told a good story because it's the same spot which was tore his ACL the first time in 2001. So, that kind of sucked, you know. Seth Rollins had to give up the WWE World Championship, you know. And then with the tournament crowns become the new champion. Of course, Roman Reigns won it at Sebastian 2015. But said that it might have been cashed in later on that by Sheamus. And 5 minutes, 15 seconds, I presume. And Sheamus is now the WWE champion. But it kind of sucks for Seth Rollins to have this amazing long title run and just get it destroyed right there. Because it originally was supposed to be Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns one on one for the WWE Championship. Which, if that match had happened, that was going to be a phenomenal matchup because these two never won one before. Mind you, a year prior, it was supposed to be set on Roman Reigns at Night Champions 2014 there, just one on one, straight up. It never happened due to injury again by Roman Reigns, you know? So, even though this kind of was the end of the Architect era for Seth Rollins here, and when he returned, it was the burn it down version of Seth Rollins there, you know, redesign, rebuild, reclaim. At least. And then that's when it, WWE's like, okay, now we're going to push the green line on the whole Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns storyline. But we're going to talk about that for another time there. But who can deny that this version of, of the architect Seth Rollins here is probably one of the best versions ever. You know, Seth Rollins continues to grow as one of the main superstars and one of the faces of WWE's one of the big time stars. You know, simple, Seth Rollins to me is just one of the most amazing competitors of all time. You know, there's no denying that, ever. Well, I'm going to take a short break here. After this advertisement, we'll talk about another topic that I'm excited about this one. So don't go anywhere. Take a break. Get to the bathroom. Get some drink. We'll be right back on this podcast of God of Heart Wrestling featuring your truly Jamal Honus. All right. Welcome back to this full episode of God of Heart Wrestling featuring your truly Jamal Honus. And the next topic I want to talk about here is probably one of my favorites. It is the history of another pay-per-view chronology, but this one is about royalty. And if you think about royalty in WWE, 
Think about some of the people that have the higher ups or the most prestigious wins that could really elevate your career. Or elevate you as the WC star entirely. I'm only talking about the history of the King of the Ring event. The tournament itself, everything that is about the King of the Ring. To me, that's royalty. I mean, it's been, it's really amazing. You know, the history of the King of the Ring. You know, we've had not only some of the King of the Ring, you know, pay-per-view or the King of the Ring tournament matches that we've had. Overall, there's been some of the greatest matches as far as, you know, that has made its way onto the King of the Ring pay-per-view events since its inception in 1993. You know, so it's been really amazing. You know, King of the Ring to me is really one of the greatest events ever, you know? It really is. It's crazy because, like, you know, there's been, like, a lot of, like, you know, King of the Ring winners throughout the day, you know? It was really crazy. It really was. But you got to, like, think about it. You know, you have the King of the Ring, you know, events. You know, you have, like, you know, you got the winners. You know, you got to be crowned, you know, win a tournament. Win a tournament, mind you. Crowned King of the Ring. The first one was on June 13th, 1983. So, today is about like, what, 28 years since we've had a King of the Ring, you know? So, yeah, it's really amazing. The first ever one was when Brett the Hitman Hart, you're truly Brett the Hitman Hart, had defeated Bam Bam Bigelow in Dayton, Ohio, become the first ever WWF King of the Ring winner, you know? So it was pretty cool, you know. And after that event, I can remember, you know, I think I was about less than less than a month old. I was still a newborn. All this event came out, but from what I've heard, I've seen like video taste what happened after. You had Jerry King Lawler come out and call Bruhar phony, not the right king of the ring. That Jerry King Lawler is the true king of the wrestling business, and, and it was just pretty cool. I think that started the ongoing rivalry between Bret Damon Hart and Jerry King Lawler, I presume. So. That was, like, pretty cool to see that a rivalry kicked off there after the coronation of Bret Hart becoming 1993 King of the Ring there. So, it's really amazing. You know, King of the Ring 1993 was definitely a good event. Because not even, you know, that um thing, you know, that King of the Ring title match was, you know, the high of the night. You know? It's pretty amazing because you had a that it change matchup that probably had a lot of controversy to begin with. Yeah, Yokozuna challenging Hulk Hogan for the WWE Championship. And there's this blast from this, this fiery blast that came out of his camera, man's camera, that blinded Hogan and got Yokozuna the leg drop and one, two, three for victory. Yokozuna is now your new champion. You know, 13 minutes and 9 seconds. So it was pretty, pretty amazing to see like how that Hogan came out. It sucks because that was Hogan's last WWF matchup before he jumped ship to WCW. I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, or who knows, maybe that could have been planned out as Hogan was playing to the WWF and Vince was like, okay, we're going to take a chance to go for you. Kind of the same type of style of how Vince took the title of Bret Hart for Nintendo 7 Survivor Series, but, you know, we'll get into a lot of that another time, so. But yeah, it was just really, really amazing, you know? It really was. But yeah, you know, 1993 King of the Ring was definitely, you know, pretty cool. Definitely a good event to remember. 
And then you got the following year, the 94 King of the Ring that took place in Baltimore, Maryland at the Baltimore Arena. You know? And, I don't know. I'm a little bit iffy about the 1994 King of the Ring just because, you know, okay. He had Owen Hart, you know, defeat the Resident Mortal Final to become 1994 King of the Ring winner. That's cool. You know, there's nothing wrong in that. You know? But why the hell is the championship matchup, the deadly championship between Big Daddy Cool D's and Bret Hart in the middle of the event? I don't know. This was really weird. Great matchup. These are one B disqualification, but interference from Shawn Michaels and Jim DeAnvil and Hart, which were there, they were just in their respective guys' corners. You know, mainly from Jim Jim DeAnvil and Hart that caused the DQ. Yeah, I I don't I don't get that. I really don't. Amazing match. Got screwed up by a DQ finish. A match lasts 22 minutes and 51 seconds. Last match at night, of course. You know, and it's like, why is this match in the middle? Shouldn't this match have been the main event to close out the show? Like, that's kind of disappointing. It really was, you know? So, you know, I I really, I, I don't know. To me, I, I didn't get it whatsoever. I really didn't, so. Yeah. A crappy weekend tournament on Heart 1. A crappy finish to a day chasing match that should have been the main event here. You know, mind you, Diesel was actually getting really shared. I don't know why. This is so weird. Brahma was kind of getting booed a little bit. It's like they wanted Diesel to become the new champion. You know, I, 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 after watching that, I kind of admit I wanted Diesel to become champion too, but it's like, still, you know? <laughs> very, very weird. But yeah, instead. Probably one of the most stupidest main events ever for a big time pay event like this. They had Wright Piper. The only one, Wright Piper is a great Hall of Famer. I love Wright Piper, but he's faced with Jake and Lawler. What was, again, what was the point of this matchup? These two had nothing in common. I didn't see this as the main event that was worthy of a, a main pay like this. And Madden lasted like 12 minutes, 30 seconds to be precise, but it was just like. A head scratch. I'm like, why is this match the main event? You know? It was it was really weird. I still don't know how this match came about. You know? Like, again, like, oh, Jerry Kamala and Robert Frott in the main event at a King of the Ring? Like, what? You know? This was pretty... It was weird. It really was. So, yeah. King of the Ring was a King of the Ring that nobody's not going to remember that much. They're going to... It happened on Father's Day in 1994, of course, but it's like, okay, um, oh, her was kindering. That's it. <laughs> That's the only thing anybody can remember from, you know, the 94 version of King of the Ring, so, yeah. All right, well, moving on. Going on the ladder here. 1995 King of the Ring got a lot better, considering it was from the Encore State Spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, he has almost 17,000 fans there. The tagline is Gus and Glory. This is pretty cool. Because that was the story that they were trying to build with the anime debut of Sabia Vega kicking off on the King of the Ring pre-show, free for all, I guess, where he had a qualifying match against IRS and won. You know, that's the first time I think Sabia Vega had wrestled in a WWF matchup from debut and help out Rizzo at the first ever Indian house Last month, in House 1, they had it on Mother's Day. So, it was pretty cool. Again, now shortly minutes after, he will come back out and have the first Kingdom qualifying quarterfinal matchup and defeat Yokozuna. 
by Kano. To me, that was kind of shocking. I was like, I was watching that event. I'm like, holy shit, Savio got a real chance of winning this thing now. I'm like, I was, I was, I was chance like Savio, Savio, like he was, he was on fire. Like he'd be RS, he'd be Yokozuna, and just minutes back to back for each other. You know, so yeah. And then the next match, now you had the roadie, which everybody knows is the road dog at Jeff Jarrett's manager and sidekick, I guess, whatever, defeated Wild Holly. You know, it's not too bad. This was a pretty good matchup. If you can have a watch a match on this event, watch Kama, who's aka Papa Shano, who's aka the Godfather, the same type, same type president, go up against Shawn Michaels. This was actually a pretty entertaining matchup. And it sucks that it only lasted 15 minutes because of the. You know, because um, of the time limit at the time. You know, so. Yeah, it ended in a 15 minute time limit draw. So that means both men were eliminated from the tournament. You know, this is pretty crazy. So there was no winner in that matchup there. So the winner of the Undertaker Mabel match will go straight to the finals of this tournament. You know, so yeah. And, and that's what happened next match. And Mabel did defeat the Undertaker with a little interference from Mo that would take Mabel all the way straight to the finals. That means Mabel had only had to wrestle. One match throughout the entire night to just get to the finals, you know? So, yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy how this whole thing went about. What's the exciting to watch, you know, as far as, like, you know, matches going to the NFL game three here. And, of course, Saab Vega went to defeat Roldy in the semifinals there. Mind you, this is Saab Vega's third match. He defeated the, the Road Dog to get to the finals. Now we know it's going to be Saab Vega versus Mabel in the finals of the King of the Ring to determine the King of the Ring 1995 champion. You know? Also, another match that people may have forgotten about when the Ongo rivalry now been two years span since Jerry Keller Jerry King Lawler called Bret Hart a phony king would challenge Bret Hart to a first ever kiss my foot matchup there in which it's not probably the best name for matchup but it's still exciting because it was Bret Hart with Jerry King Lawler. Bret Hart did win. So he had to kiss Jerry King Lawler's foot or in this case had Brahma's foot shoved down their throat. So, that was pretty funny to watch it. To me, that was really funny. You know, that, last, that match lasted about 9 minutes, 20 seconds, so it was pretty cool. The next time you have Mabel defeating South Vega in the King of the Ring Finals. This is South Vega's fourth match of the night. Not many people can wrestle four matches in one night, but it happened. Sadly, Mabel didn't win and was crowned as the United States Five King of the Ring winner. But you gotta admit, this tournament was pretty, it's pretty cool. It was. It was exciting. It was pretty cool, you know? And then, even though the day change wasn't online, this is actually a exciting matchup. At last month, anyhow, Bam and Bigelow had a surprise return. Now, Bam and Bigelow decided to team up. You know, Bam and Bigelow's not a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy as opposed to what happened to me 11 when I'm losing to LT, which was stupid. But he's a good guy, though. He's a big face. Team up with the WWE Champion Razor Month to go against Psycho Satan and Tanaka. Tanaka was a new member of the Million Dollar Corporation, Million Dollar Family. Managed by Ted DiBiase. It was a good matchup. Bam Bigelow and Diesel did win, defeating Ted DiBiase, Psycho Sid, and Tanaka. Tanaka, sorry. I keep saying Tanaka. And 17 minutes and 35 seconds. So, I got him in. That time far was a way better rub of year than that tennis four in the ring, you know? So, this is pretty cool. It really was cool to see his win. All right, next up, probably the most, one of the most famous Kansas rings ever, 1996, with a stacked card. 
you know, lesser fans than the previous year, only about almost 9,000 fans. And the tagline was, to battle is order to win is help. I'm thinking like, okay, kind of sounds scary a little bit. Let's see what's going to happen here. You know, the first matchup of the night was pretty, you know, crazy. Because this wasn't like a full tournament happened one night. It was only just a semifinals match in the finals. So, I mean, every match that had a car was had a significant importance to every match that happened on the other car or the side matchup throughout the night. So, first off, we had Stone Cold Steve Austin go up against Mark Camero. And Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Mark Merrill in 17 minutes of this matchup there. There was a point in this matchup where Mark Merrill is Stone Cold Steve Austin with a drop kick. And he would knock a couple of Austin's teeth down his throat, out of his mouth, where Austin was bleeding profusely from his mouth and needed stitches. So, even though Austin won they win, there was no, you know, telling if he was going to come back to the finals. Whoever, maybe between Vader and J.D. Snake Roberts, you know? So, it's pretty interesting to see. Of course, Austin did come back here. J.D. Snake Roberts surprisingly got a victory over Vader via this qualification. And I'm thinking, holy shit. This, I don't know. To me, they tried to build to have the Jason Snake Roberts comeback. It was pretty cool. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a big Jason Roberts fan. I've always been a Jason Roberts fan. Even beginning in the late 80s, early 90s. Jason Roberts, to me, was creepy. He was sadistic. But he was freaking cool, you know? Everything Jason Roberts did was like pure gold, you know? Mind you, I haven't seen Jason Roberts since he lost the Undertaker at WrestleMania 8. Four years prior. He comes back. Tries to win the tournament here. Gets a mega victory over Vader. Which I didn't know why, because it seemed to me at this point, Vader was in the for six months. He didn't know no Rainbow. He had that weird six-minute tattoo with the WrestleMania. He defeated Yokozuna in the house in May in 96. I'm like, okay, when are we going to really see Vader be utilized, you know, very good here? You know, at this point, Vader should have been champion at this point. Uh, it's, that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion, you know. So, I talked about this on the... Colossal Giants episode I did a couple months ago, so yeah. But losing to Jason Roberts here in less than four minutes was kind of disappointing, you know. Like, okay, this is yeah. <laughs> so we go down here, the card here. Smoking Guns would successfully defend the tag championship with Phineas and Henry Godwin. Of course, you know, Smoking Guns were managed by Sonny, the lovable, delicious Sonny at the time. A pretty good task match. I kind of enjoyed the battle between Smoking Guns and Godwins. It was actually pretty heartfelt. It really made the Smoking Guns test up their game. Everyone knows the Godwins were hard-hitting tag team at the time. The Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart Gunn had to prove how tough they were to hold his belts. And there was up. So, yeah. I think Billy Gunn mostly did for Sunny, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, next up matchup. We had Dalton Warrior going with Jake Muller. As good as the sound, this would probably be one of the most Jerry Lawler's better matches. I gotta admit, because you see Delphine come back and defeat Jerry Lawler. At Jerry Lawler, talked about how Ultimate got him fat, he was getting bald, he wasn't going anywhere, he got out of shape, and of course, Ultimate was far from any of those things. He was the same old warrior as he was back in the early 90s. Come back and defeat Lawler. You know, in like less than four minutes, three minutes, 50 seconds. So, it's probably cool to see someone come up and shut up Jake Lawler for good. So, yeah, I'm always going to Ultimate fan. Whether he's good or bad guy, I'm always Ultimate fan, especially at entrance, you know. So, it's pretty cool. 
Next up, probably one of the best matches of the night. We have The Undertaker and Mankind. This will be the first ever meeting between these two superstars here at the King of the Ring. And subsequently, this match went on for almost 20 minutes. One of the better matches. It was slow-paced, but it was so methodical that you couldn't really take your eyes off what Undertaker and Mankind were going to do with each other next. It was like chairs and still steps balls in the matchup there, so it was pretty crazy. A lot of fighting outside of the ring there. But Mankind, with the win over The Undertaker... Via submission. It was a little mistake by Paul Bearer there with the urn. Mankind lost in the Man of a Claw. This was probably the first time Undertaker had ever submitted in his entire career to Mankind in 18 minutes, 21 seconds. This is pretty surprising that Mankind gets his first major baby matchup. It's over the Undertaker. Nobody can really say they've done that. That's why I really thought that career at the time, damn, they really brought this guy Mick Foley in, Mankind. To really get a huge push over the Undertaker. Not many people can do that, especially in the 90s at that time. The way that the change of direction for that it was going. You know? I mean, they would do battle two years later, King of the Ring, but let's talk about that further down the line after I go through these next two King of the Ring events here. Next up, we got Ahmed Johnson defeating Goldust for the Intercontinental Championship in 15 minutes 34 seconds. Another good match that night. You know, because you saw really how Ahmed Johnson was being pushed to be the next big guy in WWE. And to, to beat Goldust, Goldust, who was champion for about six months there, you know, so Ahmed Johnson defeating Goldust that time, getting paid back to the Nazi title, it was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed it. You know, it felt something new, refreshing at the time. You know, so natural guy used the actual name for the championship, championship belt. It was pretty cool. Ahmed Johnson was no persona kind of guy. He was himself. Which is that be you're gonna to want to be yourself. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna to want to be persona or a gimmick. You know, kind of Roman Reigns is he's being himself. You know, straight up badass. And now we get to finally get the ring here. But Stone Cold Watson comes back and defeats Jake to take Robinson four minutes twenty seconds. Still Stone Cold, the nineteen sixteen ring winner. Probably the most infamous catchphrases. I'm wearing the T-shirt right now. The Austin three sixteen says, "I just whooped your ass." Quote by Stone Cold Steve Austin himself to jo- to Doc Hendricks. On the microphone that night. And, you know, I'll never forget that. That's where Austin 316 was born in downtown 16 at the ring there. It's just pretty amazing. It really was. Next up, the main event there. Shawn Michaels successfully defends the championship against the British Bulldog in a instant classic game, 26 minutes and 24 seconds. You got to admit, Shawn Michaels' title reign 96 was damn phenomenal. He defeated mostly every big guy that came, that came his way during that time. I, I always get Shawn Michaels British Bulldog matchup because every time these two get together, it's like it's like Davis Goliath in a little bit because you have the big strong British Bulldog, all powerful, and you got little scrawny Shawn Michaels, but Shawn Michaels can still kick your ass one another with his high flying techniques, you know, and that's what Shawn was in this matchup, his high flying techniques to that proved to get the win over the British Bulldog there, and it was pretty cool. I enjoyed the matchup. It's it's like watching Bret Hart and British Bulldog one on one. The same here for Shawn Michaels and British Bulldog going one on one here. It was just instant classic. So I definitely enjoyed it. I got the Mantan Six King Ring wouldn't be not one to forget here. Mantan Six King Ring for me would be memorable as far as any pay per goes in Mantan Six because next year Mantan Seven King Ring that came here to Providence Civic Center in Providence Island, which is now the Dunkin' Donuts Center here. The tagline is bound to begin medieval. Brace yourself. Kind of weird tagline, but I guess it worked in this case. Yeah. Nothing that 7 came through was, it was, eh, okay. Yeah, Chibwet defeated Armour Johnson in the semifinal match. Mankind defeated Jake Wall in the semifinal match up there. Uh, you know, yeah, Goldust 
defeated Crush, you know, I guess. The, the Heart Foundation, Bridge Bulldogs, Jim Evan, I own Heart Defeated, the Legion of Doom, Psycho Set. Legion of Psycho Set, that's, that's a weird tag team, but they lost their Heart Foundation, so I guess that was an actual matchup that happened, but yeah. One of the memorable highlights, again, was um, Triple H defeating China, Triple H defeating Mankind in the finals in 20 minutes to become the next king during there. There was a story. There's actually an interesting story behind this victory that Triple H was actually supposed to win the next time six came to the ring and nine times seven. But the thing is that when the whole click curtain call happened in nine times six, where he said goodbye to his friends, him and Sean, said goodbye to, you know, Razor and Diesel at the time, that was supposed to happen, but it was on TV. They broke character that this is not what she's supposed to do today, but at the time, things got furious. You know, of course, Sean was a champion. Vince wasn't going to... Sean was touch about the time. Um, Razor and Diesel were on already right at the door, so it's like they can't get no rep- reprehension from Mr. Man, but Triple H was the only one left in the company, so they had to get punished. Somebody had to get punished, and Triple H took the fall. So, you know, Triple H was supposed to win the next ring. He didn't. Instead, he won the next and seventh ring the following year by defeating Mankind. But the thing is, Triple H didn't want to wear the crown. He was... Smash the crown on Mankind's head every time he got, so, yeah. But, nonetheless, Triple H was still a Dante 17 during in Providence that night, so, yeah. I guess pretty cool. One of the most top one matches that night, the first ever time tag team champion was a tag team champion. It's Don't Go Steve Austin. The first meeting between him and Shawn Michaels. Another instant classic matchup there. It was pretty crazy. No man, one man tried to get the one, one up on the other. Say either Sean was a better man, Stone Cold was a better man. Let's let them find out, see who was a really better man. Mind you, Sean and Austin took out three referees that night to where an official had to came in. I think it was um Dave Hebner that came and disqualified both Austin and Michaels, leading to a double disqualification, basically a draw, in 23 minutes. That match was so cool, though. I love that match. It was really cool. You know, Sean and Austin really beat each other that night, and we had no winner. That kind of sucked. But nonetheless, it was still a good match to enjoy there. Even though they kind of walked out together, still tag new champions, you know? So, yeah. And you had the Heart Foundation saying the ringside one and these two to destroy each other, you know? Of course. And then we got the main event there with Neontaker successfully defending the Dead Every Championship against Sprook, the leader of the nation domination that night. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. You have a match with Neontaker for Sprook. You know, I think this is probably only, only, only time the Undertaker group had ever went one one with each other, and it happened. And Undertaker won. And then, but, there's a story behind this, too. There was actually supposed to be Undertaker versus Ahmed Johnson for the WWE Championship. Of course, something happened with Ahmed Johnson, which gets the title shot to Farouk that night, so, yeah. And then, it was kind of weird, because you saw Ahmed Johnson turn heel when he took down the Undertaker. Undertaker was ordered by Paul Haven, Paul Bearer to destroy Farouk and the Nation Domination. Ahmed Johnson tried to come in and stop, said, no, Undertaker, better than this. So he took out the Undertaker. Nobody knew what's going on. Did Ahmed Johnson turn heel or he trying to just stop the Undertaker from unleashing hell on the Nation Domination that night? So, yeah. But eventually, we knew about two months later, Ahmed Johnson would join the Nation Domination finally after getting... And his long ride with Farouk the, the previous year, so yeah, it was pretty weird, but it made it exciting ending to the Kendrick. So I guess yeah. 
All right, next up, the 1998 King of the Ring, which is probably one of my favorite events and most talked about, memorable event of all time. I'm not going to go down the list here, you know, but it's pretty cool, you know, that, you know, catching Rob defeated Rob via submission in 15 minutes to win the Nintendo King of the Ring here. I got to admit, this is probably one of the first times that I wonder the King of the Ring did not get as pushed as he did. Bret got a push. Oh, I got a push. Maybe we'll even got Cyber Push 95. Stone Cold also got a really big push in 96. And of course, got a push last year in 97. But, I don't know. Ken Shamrock, to me, I, I don't know if this man didn't see him as a top star of the company. Or just like, okay, you want the King Ring? That's it. You know, that's, that's it for you. This is the biggest push you're going to get. Ken Shamrock didn't really go anywhere after Ness Henry King of the Ring. He just still stays a main card guy. He's just. Began a few in Owen Hart. He became a kind of champion later on that year and taxi champion, but that's it. That's how I only got for Owen Hart at the time. So it was pretty, pretty, pretty weird, you know? So, yeah, really, really weird. But yeah, you know, overall, good King of the Ring. The most infamous match happened that night when you saw Mankind and the Intake on one on one at Hell in a Cell. Little they know how chaotic, how carnage, how talked about, how disruptive this Hell in Cell match would be. Go back and watch Nancy Catherine. Watch that only matchup and see how dangerous those two human beings beat the crap out of each other that night. And how Mankind took probably one of the most craziest bumps ever in that matchup. Nisa started the match on top of the cell. And it got really crazy to the point where, you know, Undertaker threw Mankind off the top of the cell, threw the Smashing House table about 20 feet to the floor. That was just insane entirely. Barely entirely insane. And it's just like, he survived it. He got wheeled on a stretcher. He went back up the cell and he wanted more. So Undertaker throws him through the cell and onto the floor with the chair come crashing down into Mankind's mouth. Mankind had one of his tooth knocked out from that going through the top of the cell into the middle of the ring and have his teeth knocked down. And it's just like, ugh. It's really crazy. Really crazy. And then you have thumbtacks involved where Mankind got sent out one foot twice into thumbtacks, finally taking a tombstone. Oh, man. Hand ticker, you know, getting the win in 17 minutes exactly. This is pretty crazy. But you thought they were done for the night. That was not even a short case. They wanted more. During the main event, it was Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the title against Kane in a first play matchup. I don't think it. Kane was fully suited. Kane was the mask king. He was the monster king. He was fully suited. How the hell are you going to get a Kane to bleed if you can't see it? It has to be on his head. He has a full-fledged mask on. You know? <laughs> the only thing that's exposed was his right arm. You know? That's it. So... You know, I don't know what I was thinking that night. How the hell are we going to defeat Kane in front of a matchup where you can't even see if Kane is bleeding or not? You know, you you bring down the cell. I don't know who's, who the hell is controlling the cell that night, you know, but it's pretty crazy. So it seemed like a first fight having something between Austin and Kane. Yeah, Mankind comes back out here. Who gets disturbed by Austin? Undertaker comes out, follows, knocks out everybody. I don't know what the hell is that thing to do with gasoline. He's pouring the gasoline on top of the referee. I'm thinking, what the hell is that? The referee on fire? What's going on here? Well, he's trying to wake up the referee. So, Kane knocks the Undertaker out with a steel chair. You have Austin, you know, 
that took a crazy chair shot from the take that busted Austin open. Referee was still down, so the match was technically still going on. You know, the match did stop, so Austin got busted open. Austin lays a stunner on Cade. He tried to crack Kane over the head, but too late. Referee sees the blood coming out of Austin, rings the bell. Kane is now your new WWE champion. This was pretty crazy. These two matches, you know, out of any Kane and Baby that overshadowed the tournament itself, because um, the tournament team was kind of stupid that year. Maybe it's a Rockstar one, not trying to get the ring, but he didn't, so. Yeah, but it was really, really, really weird, you know? So, yeah, but King of the Ring, not trying to would be probably the most recognizable King of the Rings of all time, so. It's just, it was just crazy. It really was. Like, for me, I enjoyed it, you know? It was pretty, pretty crazy. But, yeah, like, you know. Nighttime came through, you know, it was headlined, you know, by a weird matchup. A two-on-one handicap match between the McMahons, both Vince and Shane, against Austin for the control of the WWE. Now you think, like, how the hell did the match came about? You would actually have to watch it down the line. You know, the whole storyline with the ministry adopting Stephanie after WrestleMania, Vince getting his daughter back. And I'm talking about higher power. The higher power would reveal to be Vince McMahon himself. Pitted the corporation ministry together to form the corporate ministry by Shane McMahon. So now you got the Undertaker and both men running the company. That's pretty crazy. So, Austin was the championship to Undertaker at Over the Edge. You know, the same night that Omar had that terrible accident that cost him his life. So, Austin has now been named the new CEO of the company by Linda McMahon stepping down and naming her replacement. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold is challenged by both McMahon to a ladder match for control of the entire company. And that brought us to here, the King of the Ring from Greensboro, North Carolina. But aside from that, you had a weird tournament. I don't know. It was pretty weird, but I guess it wasn't too bad because you had Road Dog, Xbox, Billy Gunn, and even China. China would be the first woman to enter the King of the Ring tournament. And she made it all the way to semifinals, but she lost to the Road Dog. You know? Or semifinals, quarterfinals. She lost to the Road Dog, who then lost to Xbox. You know? So it was pretty weird. Pretty weird overall. The tournament where I managed to come down to Billy Gunn and Xbox. Billy Gunn wins in six minutes. You know, the famous are on Xbox. And Billy Gunn coming in 10 and came to the winner. But again, it really didn't do much. For Billy Gunn's career, too. All the King came through again. Just started feuding with The Rock right after. So, I think that's as big, you know, Billy Gunn's going to get at that point, too. So, yeah. Let's just say it was pretty weird, though. But also, you know, you had a really good matchup. I don't know. People kind of shit this match a lot. Undertaker versus The Rock for the championship. I love Undertaker as a champion. He was the head of corporate ministry, the champion. What more can you ask for, you know? I mean, to me, that's fucking awesome. You know, he defeats The Rock. Well, interference Triple H, of course, but the whole match is still good. Even though it doesn't make seem like The Rock and Undertaker has too much chemistry when it goes to one on with each other. But still, the game was awesome. 20 minute main event matchup, you know? So, yeah. I mean, the Undertaker, The Rock, two of the biggest people, icons in the company at the time, you know? So, yeah. It wasn't too bad. But, of that. The main event between Austin and McMahon is pretty sketchy. There's magic all, all over it. They destroyed the stage with 
because stage set for another time came to one with four ladders, so that stage set got destroyed. You know, I also tried to pick both of them because I need all those, like, 20, 30-time ladders there. So, they weren't really that big, but, you know. And then you have freaking, um, you know, you had, um, freaking Austin just beat the shit out of big mans. And to the point where Austin was trying to go up the ladder and reach the briefcase, I don't know who the hell was controlling that shit. The briefcase couldn't go up and down. Like, Austin couldn't get it. And then eventually Shane gets the briefcase, and now the man's are back in control of WWE. Austin's no longer CEO, and this is like, damn. Whew. That was, that was one crazy event, though. You know, it seemed kind of a heelish pay-per-view that night. But, yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy overall. Definitely very, very crazy. So... Yeah. I don't know. That's how it came to me. It was kind of sketchy. It was, it was okay entertaining a little bit. It was kind of sketchy a little bit. But, you know. The following year, it'd be pretty good, though, too. The following year, it took place in my hometown, Boston, Massachusetts, with a attendance record of 17,651,000. It was about half a million pay-per-view buys, which is really good at the time, because WWE was on Red Hot Friday in 2000. So, yeah. We had a team tournament where Carnegie defeated Rikishi in the main event to be crowned, you know, the team in 2006 minutes with it, you know, angle claim off the top rope. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy, though. And as good as Boston is, I don't know what was something with Boston that dumpsters go hand in hand. But just like WrestleMania 14, where we had, you know, um, New Jalos defeated no No Jalos losing tag championships to um Cathis Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, aka Terry Funk for tag chance. We have a rest of a handicap tables dumpster matchup, you know, between DJ Rich Next and uh Tory versus the Dilly Boys. And DJ Rich Next did win, you know, so I'm glad I kinda of do this match again because it wasn't really as good as the original dumpster match between they were all in Captain's and Chainsaw at WrestleMania 14 in Boston, so. It was okay. What made this event even weirder, you would have the first ever hardcore evening game at the Rockwell Championship. Know what you're thinking. This was between two old, legendary Hall of Famer wrestlers. Pat Patterson and Jared Briscoe. And <laughs> neither man won the match. Crash probably interfered after losing... His match earlier to Carnegie in the semifinals match, one successful came to me to come in and win the match up there. So, Crash Holly's technically your new hardcore champion. Well, you know, he wasn't originally part of the matchup. So, <laughs> I guess Crash Holly redeemed himself by, you know, okay, I'm losing, I lost Kato Tyler. Let me at least put my belt back. You know, who was nicknamed the Houdini, the Houdini of hardcore that night. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. You know, <laughs> I kind of love that in a way. Well, yeah, also, you know, to him, Eddie Christian defeated, you know, TNA, the Hardy Boys, and Too Cool to win the Tag Team Championship that night. And in the main event, we had a unique six-man tag team match with Eddie Cancho, where The Rock and Kane and The Undertaker would defeat Triple H, Shane, and Vince Man. And since The Rock pinned Vince Man, Triple H lost the championship without being involved in the pinfall, and The Rock was now your new WWE champion to close out the show. So it was pretty... Sweet ending to the team during 2000 there, so pretty cool. All right, King 3 in 2001 would probably be another memorable, you know, event. You know, especially for the street fight that happened between 
Kurt Angle, Shane McMahon, probably the most prolific street fights ever in the history of the company. You know, like really history, the company. And of course, you had the Kenny tournament that first you saw Kurt Angle defeat Christian semifinals, Edge defeated Rhino semifinals, and then Edge, who defeat Kurt Angle, thanks to Shane McMahon, who originally helped Kurt Angle defeat Christian in the semifinals, would help Edge defeat Kurt Angle in the finals. And it will become the two animal king three winner. And I believe for this one, just like Karnigo, you got the push. Karnigo really got his way pushed after King Three Two Thousand. Just like Edge, Edge definitely got that certain amount of push. And after the two animal king three, that's what we saw. We think okay, Edge is gonna be a big single star now. So it really was after that. Edge did win numerous championships. It wasn't really much of a technique specialist after that. He was just his own person without Christian. So it was pretty cool to see. And of course, you had Jeff Hardy defeated S Pac for the Light Heavyweight Champ, or the Sesame Pinto Light Heavyweight Championship at the time. So, this is probably the first time you had the Light Heavyweight Championship defended on the King of the Ring event. So, it was pretty cool to see that. It was an unofficial match, but you saw the Undertaker def- lay, you know, beat the shit out of DDP that night and just said a message to all of the rest of the WWE competitors be like, you know, Undertaker's not one to fuck with. If you. You know, touch his wife, stalk his wife, you're going to get your ass kicked. And that's what Undertaker, you know, made DDP famous that night at the King of the Ring 2000. Of course, you got the infamous street fight between Kurt and Shane McMahon, which lasts about 26 minutes, where you saw Kurt go not once, but twice, but three times put Shane McMahon through a glass stage, and he saw Shane McMahon bleeding profusely. He saw chairs, trash cans, a wooden sheet... A wooden board sheet, I guess, whatever you want to call it. And angle, prone angle slam off the top of that wooden sheet by, to Shane and pinning Shane 1, 2, 3. So Kurt had three matches that night. It didn't win the tournament as he wanted to, but at least he got the revenge on Shane man that he won. If uh, Shane cost Kurt Angle his world coronation, you know, with his gold medals, you know, over a month ago. So that was pretty cool. But still, probably the greatest street fight I've ever witnessed in my life. Both Shane and Man Carnegie were bloody cell and it was pretty cool. I loved it. As a hardcore fan, that has to be the number one hardcore match I've ever seen, ever. And he had the main event. A colossal triple match between Stone Cold Steve Boston, Chris Jericho, and Chris Benoit. Chris and Chris Benoit were the tag team champions at the time. Well, not tag champs. They lost tag champions, but they were still Chris and Unit. There was um, rumors. I talked about this on my Chris Jericho 01 podcast episode about Chris Benoit, Carnegie, the threatening over the WCW the next night. Should either one of them become WWE champion? Of course, that didn't happen. And Stone Cold Steve Austin won, even with the defense of Booker T, who was WCW at the time. That almost cost Austin the matchup. Austin was still win. A small price paid for Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit got his neck injured after that match and would not be seen WWE for the next 11 months, almost an entire year. So that kind of sucked for Chris Benoit there. But currently, uh, at the end of the match, Stone Cold Steve Austin was still your WWE champion, you know, so, in 27 minutes. So, that was a hellish main event as well. So, and here we get this. This is the final King of the Ring pay-per-view event at the time. Because now, you have the newcomer, Brock Lesnar, was an upper cup, the next big thing. This will be a Raw SmackDown event since the brand split happened. Yeah, Brock Lesnar will defeat Rob Van Dam in the main event 
you know, to become the 20, 2002 Kings Ring winner here. This was the first time that celebration, whoever won the Kings Ring tournament, will get a shot for the WWE Unspeed Championship at SummerSlam. Rock of the Ones got the title shot, whoever the WWE Championship was at the time. Also, some other matches on the card. This is really cool. Eddie Guerrero versus Rick Flair, and Rick Flair defeated Guerrero in 17 minutes. You had a cruiser chance match between Jamie Noble and the Hurricane. You had Kurt Angle versus Hulk Hogan. Who would ever thought Kurt Angle would face Hulk Hogan? And Kurt Angle made Hulk Hogan tap out to the ankle lock in 12 minutes and 18 seconds. Yo, I think Talent 2 Kendrick was definitely stacked up with these first time ever matches. This is pretty damn cool. In the main event, you had Anna take successfully defended the WWE Championship against Triple H in a classic 24-minute matchup with the interference of The Rock. When The Rock made his return at this event that night, just to get a seat about who will be the next challenger for his WWE Championship would be. And take a win and take a still the WWE NSP Champion at this event. So, I gotta admit, you know, as far as the King of the Ring goes, this was pretty damn cool. It really was. So, yeah. I definitely enjoyed the... You know, 2002 King of the Ring here. This is, like, really, really cool event. So, yeah. Overall, to me, King of the Ring has been probably one of the controversial papers of all time. So, and definitely deserved to be on the marquee front as far as events go in WWE's history. It's, it kind of sucks that that baby crunchy engine challenge, too. It wasn't brought back until the tournament in 2015 and so on. And now you have Baron requirements on SmackDown as the... Ongoing King of the Ring, even though he technically won the King of the Ring two years ago, but, you know, he's still calling himself King Corbin. I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon, but, you know, the King of the Ring has done a lot to elevate people's careers as far as this certain standpoint goes, so, yeah. But, we'll take a short break here, I'll come back, and this is a very long segment, guys, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I had to really run down King of the Ring history so much that I enjoyed talking about King of the Ring. But yeah, we'll take a short break and put a cap in this episode. But we will be right back here at this advertisement. All right. We are back with this conclusion. Put a cap on this episode of God I Fight Wrestling. Featuring Shirley Jamal on this here. And I have fun talking about this a lot. This is pretty cool. You know, all these topics discussed in one part. I don't know if I should start doing my episode like this. Some of my friends are give me advice to maybe... Now, I'll just talk about one thing, but Carl, talk about a series of things in each full episode as you do it. So, I'm probably still going to do that now, you know? But I still want to dedicate the full episode to a single topic, you know? So, yeah. It's been pretty cool, though. As far as this episode goes, I think it's probably one of my favorite episodes to this very date, you know? So, it's pretty cool, though. It's definitely pretty cool. But, next week, I'm excited. There's two certain topics I want to talk about here. One is the history of Teenage Wrestling Bound for Glory, their biggest event of the year. You know, which Bound for Glory and Teenage Wrestling has produced some of the best matches ever. You know, so. And also I want to talk about a certain controversial superstar who is still my favorite superstar ever, you know, we talked about in the era of all daddy's history. And that is the career of CM Punk. We are going to talk about that next week on my episode of God of Heart Wrestling. And that's going to be a lot to talk about there. I got a lot to say about CM Punk, but in a good way. But he's really going to be heavily praised on my podcast, no matter what. So if any one of you guys get mad about how much I'm praising CM Punk, then go explain that to him on Twitter or something. But 
Stephen Punk to me is one of the best superstars, and one of the greatest superstars to ever step foot in the wrestling ring, hands down. So, yeah. But that is all about next week. Unfortunately, I gotta go. My time is up, but I'll be definitely back next week. All right, full episode on my podcast, Sky Hard Wrestling. Follow me on my Twitter, Phenomenal One, and follow me on my Instagram page, Phenomenal My Phenomenal Number One Y Number Two J, and my Facebook, Jamel Holness. And you know, you can text me if one number listed on my podcast info. So yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast for my full episode. It's only four ninety nine a month. Much costly, but like I said, I'm going to be uploading a lot of bonus episodes from here on out too, so don't forget. Full episodes, bonus episodes. Bonus episodes are already free. No subscription there, but subscribe to hear my full episodes there. Please, please, please subscribe. Even subscribe to me on Twitter. It'll be very much appreciated. I will do anything for you guys. You're my fans. You come first. You're number one. Even email me. Describe to me or tell me what topics you want me to talk about here, what history you want to learn about my wrestling knowledge. I'm like encyclopedia. I know almost everything, but I know a lot of good things about wrestling. So, like I said, hit me with so many topics. Hit me, hit me, hit me. All right? Thank you, and have a good day, everybody. Be safe. Thank you very much.